0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Stories of Hope by Kangaroo Minds. I am Vedika, and today we have with us author, blogger and mental health campaigner Cara Lizna. Cara uses her social media platforms to raise awareness about mental health problems, especially eating disorders. She has recently written a book which to help people with their journey with their eating disorder and she also runs a successful blog where she shares her own experiences around anorexia and her eating disorder journey. She also focuses on recovery and has also recently made a recovery job, which she is sharing online, to show us milestones along her journey. Before we begin to hear more from Kara about her story and her learnings, we'd like to put out a trigger warning for our audiences. If at any point during this conversation, should you find yourself feeling triggered or distressed, we urge you to take a step back and look after yourself. Should you need any additional support resources, you can also find them on our website. Now, without taking much time, I'm going to hand over to Kara to share with us her story and her learnings. Thank you so much, Kara, for being here and accepting our invitation and joining us. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to be more of a listener today and I'm going to let you share with us your story, you know, what has been the mental health journey for you and what has recovery really looked like.
1: I think I probably started having body image issues from when I was maybe around like seven or eight and I remember thinking that I was like really aware of what I looked like compared to like other children my age Um, and then when I was about 12 is when I started getting some sort of like eating disorder symptoms and then I was diagnosed when I was 13. So that's when I started seeing mental health services and I also had a diagnosis of depression at that time um and I kind of stayed in the community doing like outpatient support for a couple of years and then when I was 15 I had a six month inpatient admission which was relatively successful um and I did pretty well for a period of time after that and then I kind of had like a relapse and then went into the adult eating disorder service when I was about 20. Um, i did a course of cbt which i didn't find like massively helpful i didn't really get along with my therapist very well um i we just didn't really click and i think that's like really important when you're having therapy it's like that's probably more important than the type of therapy i think it's like what relationship you have with the therapist and ours just wasn't very good um so wouldn't say got really massively better in that time so i then ended up going back when i was about 22 23 um I did some psychodynamic psychotherapy which was brilliant and my therapist was amazing I loved him um he was really really cool and it was like a really different approach to what I'd had before because when I was in CAMS I had quite a lot of like cbt based work so having like a different type of therapy was really great for me and again then I did pretty well I would say for quite a long time after that and then I went back when I was 27 and then they offered me a group intervention, which I couldn't do because of work. And it was like right in the middle of the day and it would have meant telling like all my employer and I didn't really want them to know at the time. So that was like a really big barrier to it. So I just said, I didn't want to do that. And then things kind of ticked along for a couple of years where I was like still able to go to work and able to get my friends and stuff like that. So it was like, it was a big part of my life but one that was kind of manageable. And then I don't really know why I just had like a really significant relapse in 2019. Um, and then I ended up doing a day patient program for six months which was brilliant Um, they don't really have that many across the UK so I'm really fortunate that I live really near one because it meant that I didn't have to go back to hospital which is something that I was really worried about um, so they were brilliant and then I did some more CBT uh, my therapist was actually amazing and I really really benefited from it this time so I didn't actually want to do CBT when they offered it to me I was like no so I don't want to do that Um, But he stayed my case manager all through when I was in day patient and we built like a really good relationship. And then I was like, oh, actually, I think I'm going to give it another go. Um, And I did. And he was brilliant. So I was discharged in March of this year for hopefully the last time. Um, And then also, so when I had a sort of diagnosis of like recurrent depressive disorder all the way up until I was 25. And then when I was 25, I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which has been relatively well managed since I've been on like a good combination of medication. So we've played around with it quite a lot over the last five or six years. Um, but I think I'm on like a really good combo now and I haven't had any sort of like significant episode since 2018. So overall I'd say at the moment I'm probably like the most well that I've ever been with a combination of like really good therapy and really good medication.
0: I think that's been interesting that, you know, you pointed out a few things along with the recovery that, you know, you tried a range of interventions and how, you know, we assume that, okay, you know, sometimes when a mental health service picks out something for us, that's going to be best suited. And that's not necessarily it. I think it's so much more than, oh, you know, CBT can be a great intervention, but if you don't have the right therapist and you don't like, it, it doesn't really work out. But looking at another aspect of your mental health journey, I think it's been the recovery job that, you know, you were doing through the year. So do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Like, you know, what inspired you to do it and what that looked like for you? Yeah, so I made it in day patient and um, it
1: had like quite a lot, probably maybe like four 50 or so like different foods in it that were things that were like really big fear foods to me things that I was worried about that I'd been avoiding for like a really long time um or things that maybe I would eat when I was in day patient but then didn't feel like I could eat outside of that environment um so I made it probably obviously maybe like February last year Mm-hmm. and then it just sat in my dining room until January of this year, because so I was too scared to start using it, um, and then this year I was like, no, like, I'm going to really commit to it, because I think up until, yeah, up until probably at the start of this year, I was still like really ambivalent about recovery, and really like, like clinging on to a lot of anorexia behaviour still, and was really scared to make any sort of really significant changes, um, and then it kind of came to this year, and I was like, no, I'm just going to do it, so then Every week I took something out of it and then ate whatever the thing was that was on it. Um, and there was only one that I ever took out and put back in. The rest, I always did it when I took it out. And the one that I kept taking out and putting back in was pizza. So that ended up being the last thing that I had because I just avoided it for like the entire year till I ran out and got to the end. But I did have it in the end, but it ended up being the last thing. Um, but it basically just meant that I ate like loads of different foods that I haven't had for years, it's like some of them years and years. Um so it was a really good way of like challenging myself and also like proving to myself that nothing like disastrous was going to happen if I did do these things and I did sort of like incorporate these things back into my diet. Um and it's now meant that if I don't know, if I just feel like having a milkshake or something because I took it out the jar and I challenged myself to do it and saw that like nothing bad happened then I feel more able to do that just spontaneously so it's made like a really big difference in terms of like what I kind of
0: allow myself to do day to day now. Right so I think you know that's a big thing right that you how you've taken it step by step moving forward so in your entire journey like you know with um you know when you were in day patients and inpatient and even through recovery I think what would you say have been you know some high and low
1: points for you um i guess like the really low points would be like sort of at the start of doing those programs so, like when i started day patient this time around it was like probably like the lowest point of my adult life i would say because like i wasn't able to this is the first time that i've been like able to not work long term like even when i've had been in treatment before I've been able to sit at work and just go to the therapy on my days off and like even when I got diagnosed with bipolar I took like three or four weeks out before I went back to work and this time I was off for like nearly seven months so it was like really significant for me for that to have happened um and that was a really low point just because I think like physically I'd got much more unwell than I had like previous times as well so I was like starting from much further back I think than I had had to previously so it just felt like I had a lot further to go Um, which technically I did um, but it felt scarier I suppose because I felt like I was so much further back than I'd been since I was like a teenager Um, and that initial phase of like refeeding is so like physically I don't think people realise that it's really physically uncomfortable and like really painful Um, and also emotionally it's just like really uncomfortable those like initial like when you start gaining weight again and starting to you know like your clothes are all starting to fit differently and things like that were really hard um it got easier as it went on i think COVID was also really like quite a low point because it meant that my treatment just really abruptly changed overnight Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and that was really hard to get my head around because i was used to like going into the clinic every day and then suddenly i wasn't allowed to leave my house um so that was like a really big challenge which i think i managed relatively well but I think I was very fortunate that I started the program I think about four months before that happened so I'd got to a point where I was like a lot more stable and kind of able to manage it a bit better which I think I wouldn't necessarily have been able to do had that happened earlier um so yeah I would say those were probably really low points but the high points I think was being able to do things that I hadn't been able to do for a long time so stuff like being able to start like going out and enjoying going out for dinner like with my friends, or going out for cake with my boyfriend and just stuff like going back to work was like a really high point for me because I hadn't obviously worked for like a long time um and like getting my place at uni and things like that which just would have been like I was supposed to apply for the course that I'm on now the previous year and I couldn't because I I was just about to start day patients so obviously it just wasn't a possibility um so being able to do things that anorexia had like prevented me from doing at some point was like real high points for me, I think, just feeling like I was kind of getting my life back
0: again. I think, you know, another thing is that a lot of people point out, especially within the UK, the deficit within the system around eating disorders, especially I think there's a lot of criticism around, like, you know, the transition from child services to adult services. You've been very vocal about that as well. So do you want to shed a little bit of light around, you know, the whole process of actually getting
1: a diagnosis to getting help. Mm, yeah, so I don't really remember
0: how it happened in CAM so much because it was
1: so long ago. And I think I, I I, don't remember how I ended up going there, but it was like, obviously my parents were the ones that were like, or my mum was the one that was sort of like orchestrating that. Um, so I don't remember exactly how that happened. Um, but the reason I got admitted to inpatient is because I ended up having a general hospital admission. Um, and then they then said from there, actually, we think it's just not sustainable that you're at home anymore. Um, so that's how I ended up going to hospital. But with regards to so I was discharged from camps when I was 18. And then I didn't go back to adult services till I was 20. So I didn't technically like transition. I just left one and then went back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I wrote my dissertation, actually, in my nursing degree on the transition between cans and adult services. because I feel really strongly that we don't do it very well here. Mm-hmm. Um, but in and this is something I found really difficult when I went into adult services actually is that I was still only 20 so I was still quite young and then suddenly the whole emphasis of like recovery was just completely on me um, which is really different to how it is in CAMS. and it was just suddenly like well, what are you going to do to make yourself better and I was like well I don't really know that's why I've come here to you to help me (laughs) Um, and I didn't really feel like that was uh, like responded to very well because I felt really lost and I wasn't really sure what I wanted But as I've got older, I think I've been a lot more assertive about like, well, this is what I do and don't find helpful. This is what I think I need from you. This is how long I think I need it for. Um, But I think that comes with experience of having been in the service for such a long time. Whereas I think for other people who aren't very experienced in mental health services, don't really know what the options are for them necessarily. And I don't think services always make that very clear either. So I I think a lot of the, the good treatment that I've had is... Partially because of like my knowledge of how the system works, if that makes sense.
0: Right. So I think that's definitely something, you know, which needs to be looked into. Because as you said, you came from a place where, you know, later on, you knew better what you wanted, but you also had some knowledge around the system and how that should be working for you. But a lot of people may not be in that space but uh, moving forward like you know what would you say have been you know some of the learnings that you've had from this
1: journey um I think probably like talking to people early early on in like when I feel things aren't going very well and that's something that I did this time around in terms of even just like telling my work and stuff like that so that they were able to put like supportive measures in place for me while I was waiting for a place in treatment. Um, So it meant I was able to do things like increase how much I was working at home and like have earlier finishes and stuff like that which was like really useful in terms of me being able to stay at work because I think if I'd have had to have carried on working in the same way that I was prior to that relapse it wouldn't have been sustainable for me to stay at work as long as I was. So they were really good at trying to like adapt to keep me there as long as possible. Um, So definitely like talking to people early is like a really big one. And I also think asking for help as early as possible, like from services, which is really difficult to do. And also, unfortunately, the way that services work is that if you're not particularly like physically unwell, sometimes you can wait a really long time to be seen. Um, And I think thankfully, because I asked for help so early on in the process, it meant by the time I was seen, which was like three months later, because I'd like physically deteriorated so much in that time. Mm -hmm. They were able to offer me a place really quickly in treatment. Um, Whereas I think if I'd have waited longer, I'd have ended up in like an even worse state and then potentially would have had to have gone to hospital, which I really didn't want to do. Um, So I guess, yeah, talking to people around you, but also talking to services are like my two main learning points, I suppose.
0: Right. And, you know, like one thing that you've been very active about is like, you know, using social media, using your blog to sort of advocate for um, mental health awareness, especially around eating disorders. So what do you Mm think is sort of, you know, the power of social media when it comes to having these conversations?
1: I think one of the things I really like about Twitter in particular is it helps you, like, really connect with other people that have got similar experiences to you. And, like, you can do that to some degree on Instagram, but I think it's harder because I think Twitter is, like, more conversational than, uh, than Instagram is, where it feels like you're kind of talking, like, more into a void, I think, whereas Twitter it's really, like, back and forth. So I like that about it a lot. And I think you're able to build up, like, really nice communities of people as well that are really supportive like i feel like i've definitely done that like i've got so many like lovely supportive people like on my social media um but i also think it's just a really good platform to raise awareness about things because it's easier again on twitter i think compared to instagram it's much easier to like share things that other people are talking about um so you can help them to like reach a wider audience so i think i'm really lucky that i do have like quite a big platform to be able to do this with but it also means that I have the opportunity to like share things that other people have said as well and to help them to reach like other people so I think it's a really good way of building up like really supportive communities that kind of help you in your recovery but also using it to like reach people that might not have that much knowledge about anything but like if we're talking about eating disorders for example being able to reach people that might not have that much awareness about it because they can then like kind of find your content and learn from it.
0: Great. So, Cara, you also have a book coming up, I think, early next year, isn't it? So do you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about your book and, you know, what really
1: led to that? So basically, like this time when I was in treatment, I, I started bullet journaling. And i would never done it before, but I wanted to keep like a really clear record of everything that I was doing because I wanted to have resources to look back on if things were getting a bit difficult again that would helpfully... Stop me from going needing to go back to the service or having like a full relapse because I could look back on things that I'd learned and things I'd done in therapy and things I'd done in day patient and be like these are all the things that I know now about my eating disorder that mean that I'm able to manage it um so I started doing that and then I used to just share pictures of it on Instagram and people would be like oh that's really helpful thanks for sharing it and then I basically wrote a tweet saying would anyone be interested if I like made something like this to sort of Like for other people to be able to access and then a publisher just got in touch with me and was like that sounds like something we're really interested in and I'd already kind of put like a draft manuscript together by then so I just sent it over to them and they really liked it so we just kind of back and forth like edited it for a while Um, and it's now kind of like in its final stages of just being like typeset um, and like uh, getting all the illustrations in because someone's illustrated it, um, and they look really lovely Um, But the idea of it is just that it's just like a like an exercise book sort of so people can be like really creative with it and like colouring it and writing it and draw all over it. And the idea is that it's going to be like a resource for them to be able to keep and then like look back on and reflect on learning that they've done and things like that. So it, it kind of just came from the fact that I like found journaling really helpful through the time that I was in treatment this time around. And I kind of wanted to help other people to be able to do that too.
0: I think that that's really interesting, and I am quite looking forward to your book. Hopefully, it's going to be available internationally as well soon. Um, yeah, was... Another thing I wanted to ask is, you know, like um, even if you see culturally or just socially, there are so many conversations which center around food, which center around weight, and sometimes we don't even consciously realize that you know we might be propagating or triggering someone who has an eating disorder. Or even mm. who might be struggling with their mood for that matter, you know, like just casually the words which come out is, um, it can be very detrimental. So along your journey, you know, have you noticed that there are things which people might have said which have been both, you know, helpful to you and unhelpful to you? So that, you know, this could give people watching a better insight on, you know, how we can be more careful with the things we say or how we can be more supportive.
1: I think the things that really don't help is when people like comment on like how much you're eating or like how like what speed you're eating, just anything to do with like how you eat really. And also when people talk about like foods being like good foods and bad foods and like guilty pleasures and, you know, all that sort of language that really like segregates food and attaches any sort of like moral value to it. I don't like because then it makes people feel bad if they eat things that they perceive as not being like clean foods or good foods Mm. um so I think that's really really unhelpful language that we use uh in terms of what's helpful I suppose like not focusing too much on like what someone's eating in specific but I do think what's been nice to me is that like my boyfriend like he doesn't mention it at the time that I'm eating because I think that would make me feel like really self-conscious but sometimes if he knows that I've eating something that I might be like particularly worried about or anything maybe like a bit later on he'll just be like I know that was really difficult for you like well done for doing that and that's really nice I think because it doesn't make me really self-conscious at the time but it also recognizes that actually even though I'm not outwardly being like oh gosh this is really hard for me still recognizing
0: that it might have been even though I wasn't like outwardly communicating it so that's helpful for me. I think that's interesting because as we said you know sometimes we just don't know and it's so easy the way like you know food and weight and body image sort of makes a huge part of the conversations we have but how would you say that you know your journey has sort of influenced you and in all the work that you're doing?
1: I think something that was I mean I've always been quite vocal I think about having people having like equal access to services anyway regardless of like what their diagnosis is or what their physical health is like. Um, but in, at the start of 2019, my referral got rejected because they said that my BMI was healthy and I didn't fit into any like specific eating disorder criteria. And then um, nine months later, I was on like, the urgent waiting list for intensive support. So I feel really frustrated about that because I think if, you, if they'd have seen me when I first asked for input at the start of the year, I might not have ended up in a place where I had to take six months off work and um, you know, delay my like, career plans by a year and things like that. Um, So I feel I think that's definitely influenced like how much I talk about now people being able to access services, regardless of what their specific diagnosis is and what their weight is. Um, And also the fact that you can have a restrictive eating disorder and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're underweight or that you're going to get underweight. It does happen to some of us, but it is a really small percentage. But unfortunately, I mean, it's, I guess it's hard for me because I feel really grateful that I've had so much support and that I was able to access like really intensive support while I was in day patient. But I do feel frustrated that I have to get so unwell to be able to do that. And something that worries me is that I know that there's a lot of people that are never going to get to the point that I got to which might mean that they never get treatment. And I just don't really think that's acceptable because people potentially just gonna live with an eating disorder for like the rest of their lives where it's not at the point where it's preventing them from necessarily like working or socializing, but it's still really like, you know, not very nice to live with and it's still gonna make them unhappier than maybe they could be if it wasn't there. Um, so that's definitely influenced a lot of what I talk about, I think. And things like over the years, I guess I've been aware of like a lot of comments that people make about people with eating disorders that are really like stigmatizing or just um, not intentionally malicious, but really like ignorant. And I really want to kind of put a stop to people like making comments like that. I suppose. So I just really want to like raise awareness of like what eating disorders are and what they're not, um, and what sort of support people
0: need. Great. So I think, you know, what is something you would say, you know, that, you know, now that let's say you wish you had known earlier? Um,
1: I think probably that I deserve support regardless of what weight I'm at or what diagnosis I have. Um, and that has been really difficult for me to get my head around because I think services are kind of reinforced <laughs> that that's not true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and when you have an eating disorder, a lot of what you think is, is that you're not sick enough to deserve support or that there's other people that are worse than you who deserve it more. And there's always like a little bit further to go all the time. And it's taken me a really long time, I think to kind of get my head around the fact that actually it's not my fault that I had to wait so long for that. It's just how services are. And that doesn't mean that I didn't deserve it or that I was not unwell enough. It just means that services are really stretched and sometimes they're able to offer support and sometimes they're not. But it's not any reflection on me and whether I deserved it or not.
0: I think, you know, that's a very valid point that a lot of times when people are struggling, we believe and we start comparing, you know, to other people that, oh, you know, there are other people who have it worse than me. I don't deserve help because I'm not as badly affected as someone else would be or I'm not sick enough or Especially in an eating disorder context, especially I think when it comes to the conversations around weight and around BMI, it's just that, oh, you're not thin enough, you're not sick enough, you know, you're okay, like you're visibly looking okay, but I think we really need to look further beyond that. But uh, I think moving forward, like, you know, we've had the COVID, we've seen that there's been a lot of mental health implications of the COVID, particularly in terms of eating disorders as well. But, um, you know, as we talk about the whole concept of the new normal, what is something that you would like to see in the new normal?
1: I think there's been a lot of talk about mental health since COVID started. And I think there's an agenda to that in terms of how much of it's coming from the government, because I think they're using it to not just the government, but, you know, people that don't agree with lockdowns and things like that are using it as like, Um, currency I guess to say like lockdowns are bad Um, and I am very pro lockdown when it's necessary and I think it has been very necessary um, when we've done it Uh, and I think there's a lot of times we probably should have done it earlier than we did over here because um, it's ended up sometimes that we've had to do it for really long periods of time where potentially we might not have had to if we'd have done it earlier but that's another topic for a different day I suppose but um, I think Regardless of what the rationale for people talking about it is, there has been a lot more talk about mental health over the last few months um, and why it's really important that people are getting support and what kind of things can influence our mental health where people, for example, have been like really socially isolated over the last couple of years where they've not been, you know, people haven't been going into the office as such or like people that are, you know, clinically vulnerable and have had to self-isolate. And I think it's been interesting that there's been more conversations about what sort of things are good for your mental health and what sort of things aren't good for them. And I would like to see that continue, although not be used as a a reason for us not to do things or to do things. But I do think it's really useful that we're starting to have those conversations a bit more openly.
0: No, I think that's a very valid point again, that, you know, like the way there've been arguments pro-anti-lockdown where you've seen mental health being used as a reason. But I think a lot of people would also say that you know, it's been good and bad in terms of having lockdown, but if you see COVID, I think it was necessary when we had the lockdowns. Um, So, you know, lastly, to sort of wrap up the whole conversation that we've had today, what would be one piece of advice that, you know, that you would like to share with someone who's watching this and is having a hard time with their mental health?
1: I think it's a really simple one but I think it's just about not kind of keeping it to yourself because I think things really just fester and it's so easy for things to spiral out of control and you're dealing with them on your own um and I really appreciate that sometimes that's much easier said than done and that people don't always have a very supportive social network around them and that sometimes mental health services aren't good enough in a lot of areas or able to support everyone that needs it um so I I do understand that maybe that's a bit like too simplistic but I do think for me it's kind of been what the key like turning point of my recovery is, is making sure I'm able to talk to people and access the support I need and that's one of the things I think that came out of therapy for me this time is I was probably more open in therapy than I've ever been previously. And I don't think there's any reflection necessarily on my past therapist, but just on kind of where I was at in my life and my recovery and how difficult I found it to access emotions and like what I was thinking. And I think being really open in therapy this time is what allowed me to make so much progress. So I think in many, many different circumstances, being like open about what's going on and talking to people is probably just one of the biggest key factors to getting better, whether that is like your family, your friends, mental health services, helpline therapy whatever format takes um that's kind of my key advice I think really
0: so thank you so much for that I think you know as you said reaching out is really a big part of just recovery and sometimes just knowing that you know there is help out there it gets better I think that can really be very empowering for a lot of people so I really appreciate Kara you taking out so much time joining us and sharing your story with us and absolutely more power to you and keep being you know the inspiration that you are to a lot of people and i'm sure you know hearing your story is going to make people feel a little less alone in what they're going through right now and, and lastly for anyone who's watching this um, you know if you're having a hard time with your mental health just know that you know there is help out there there is support out there and there are people out there who care it could be a helpline it could be a friend, it could be a support system, it could be a family member, it could be a professional, but just reach out because things do get better and you deserve to feel better. So till next time, please stay well and stay healthy. Thank you.